The following podcast contains spoilers and words such as done and bother. Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Wimmy Wham Wham Wazzle, welcome to We Watched a Thing. It's Billy and Topher here with you again. How are you doing, my friend? Um, do you want to take another shot at that intro? No. Or are you happy with that? No, no, we're rolling with that. That's good. And don't you dare cut out my Wimmy Wham Wham Wazzle. I wouldn't dream of I'm it. Try- I'm trying out a new catchphrase. But it's not new. <laughs> You've tried it before and it's failed before. Uh, well, has it failed, though, is the thing? I mean, I'm still saying it, so clearly that means it worked, right? Okay. I suppose if, if you keep watching Reindeer Games, it continues to be a classic. It is a classic. It is. It's a Christmas classic. I watch it every Christmas, and it's better every year. <laughs> We're not talking about Reindeer Games this week, though, buddy, are we? Ah, oh, more's the pity. <laughs> what are we talking about? Uh, at the request of one of our patrons, we are going to be having a chat about 1981's Time Bandits. Yes, correct. Now, you hadn't seen this, had you? Had you heard of it? I did not know this film existed. Really? It seems- that seems strange to me. It seems like your kind of film. I bet your parents were fans of this. Well, I don't know. I feel like if they had been, I'd have grown up with it. Eh, maybe. Because while I was watching it, I found it kind of strange that I didn't grow up with this film. Yeah, because it it, it really seems like that kind of movie to me that you would have grown up with. Go figure. All right. Let's get into it. Time Bandits is a 1981 British fantasy adventure film co-written, produced and directed by Terry Gilliam and starring Sean Connery, John Cleese, Shelley Duvall, Ralph Richardson, Catherine Hellman, Ian Helm, Michael Palin, Peter Vaughan and David Warner. And what is it about, Toph? A band of time-travelling thieves who run around stealing stuff through the ages and meeting people who inexplicably speak English. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's fair. <laughs> um, I did grow up with this film. This this was a favourite of, of both of my parents. And I, for a long time, really thought this was a Monty Python film. But I've discovered later, of course, that it is not. <laughs> kind of Python adjacent. Well, yeah. So, let's let's- can we start with Gilliam first? I think this is actually a really interesting movie to watch in the scope of Gilliam's career. Obviously, the first film he directed was Holy Grail, and this is the first film he directed that wasn't a Python film. And I think this film really, you can you can see the evolution of him to where he is now, where he makes kind of out there fantasy films. You know, you think of Gilliam, you think of, for example, like Twelve Monkeys or uh, more recently, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. And I think this kind of is really bridging a gap between those earlier- Like, it does feel very Python adjacent. It's it's very funny, but it's less slapstick and takes itself slightly more seriously than the earlier Python films do. And it does kind of branch more towards the kind of fantasy Gilliam is known for. Um, do you feel the same way? Yeah, I think stylistically- I think what you said there makes a lot of sense to me and just that that this film is kind of a bridging film between that work with Python and then definitely stylistically getting towards Brazil a few years later. Mm, yeah. Um, the way that he uses the camera in this film, it's not to the point that he will then do it with Brazil, but you can you can see how it's getting there for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well he can he considers this part of a trilogy. Uh, you know, like Brazil follows in the same kind of path as this. He he considers 
this Brazil and the Adventures of Baron Munchausen, which I haven't seen, he considers those three to be a trilogy in his mind. You know, kind of looking at time and space, which is something that he does like to play around with. Indeed, um, playing around with tone, because this film really starts off as a horror with <laughs> that plastic covering on furniture. <laughs> Dear God. I'm pretty thought- happy that's a thing that has stayed in decades past. <laughs> I thought you were going to say started as a horror with child actors. but <laughs> Well, we can talk about it now or later. Let- let's get to it later because I want to go back to the plastic coverings. Okay. Did- did- have you ever been to a house that had those? I don't think I have, no. I don't think I've ever seen them in the flesh. One of my friends growing up had had a plastic-covered couch, and I never understood it because it's not- I mean, it's exactly like it is in the movies. You're just sitting on plastic, and it's very, very uncomfortable. Yeah, what's the point in protecting this thing that's meant to be comfortable? That's right. (laughs) If you never get to use it as something that's comfortable. No one's winning. (laughs) Well, okay, let's get to the child actor then. <laughs> okay. Because um, this film actually has a, a massive cast. When when you sit down and read that cast list, there's a lot of big names there. And at the centre of it is this f***ing kid. <laughs> Who really is at the centre of it. He really is the lead, our little man Kevin. Just got awful. Just a not just another god awful child actor <laughs> polluting the screens. He's not the worst we've seen. He's not as bad as little Andy from Child's Play. I can't remember him. Oh, jeez, that was bad. Which Child's Play? The the, the original. Oh, okay. Yeah. On a, I'm going to be honest. I actually don't mind this child actor. I think he serves what he needs to do. Miserable stuff. <laughs> um, I was hoping that Agamemnon was. Just going to kill him. <laughs> Thanks for helping me kill this boar-headed warrior who, <laughs> when I saw it, I was like, wow, Gladiator fucking ripped that off. <laughs> you, remember, you know, there's that, the sequence in Gladiator, it's like his second fight where, where Maximus just comes out by himself. Yeah. It's like, it's the precursor to the, are you not entertained? Yeah, yep, yep. And this, that like that, ex- basically that exact guy is waiting for him. Yeah. Ridley Scott was just like, in pre-production, was like, dial up the laser disc of, <laughs> of Time Bandits. Yeah. That's what I want. <laughs> I want Russell Crowe to kill that guy. <laughs> I was shocked. Um, and yeah, that, that it's a real shame that Connery doesn't just kill the kid. Connery's pretty great in this movie, though. I think he's the best performance in the film. Let me ask this, though. Did you find the film funny? Obviously, I was surprised when I looked it up on Wikipedia that it is listed primarily as a fantasy and comedy is not even in the genres. Did you find this film funny some now or, I mean, Jesus, nearly 40 years later? In places, certainly, um, particularly David Warner as evil genius is (laughs) just delightful. Every moment he's on screen, I think, is really Joyful stuff. Some some of the play, some of the interplay with the band of thieves is good. Some of it's not. Yeah, because it's funny. My memory of watching this as a kid was very much like laugh out loud almost the entire film. You know, much as as my memory is of Monty Python films, and I I do wonder. It's been a while since I've watched them. I wonder if they would feel the same as this. I I do wonder how well they would hold up. Um, because uh, yeah, I was surprised that I wasn't laughing as much as I remembered as a kid. I mean, it is certainly tonally different from a Python film. 
that's certainly one of the respects that it differs from an like early Gilliam directing efforts like Holy Grail. Because you've got scenes that are quite funny. Like, um, I mean, John Cleese's scene as as Robin Hood is <laughs> like a genuinely just a, like a comedic scene. Yes, that's great. It's funny. I remember it feeling a lot more skit-like almost, like a collection of, but it is actually much more cohesive than that. To be honest, the Robin Hood scene in some ways feels slightly out of place because of that, I think. Elsewhere in the cast, so Shelley Duvall is in a, f- a few scenes in this film. It's, it's interesting looking at her filmography coming off the experience of making The Shining because she goes, I mean, The Shining it was you know, one of those classic Kubrick shoots. I took, it took forever to film The Shining and she had a just a genuinely miserable shoot yeah. from all reports. Following on from The Shining, in, which comes out in 1980, she does Popeye and then Time <laughs> Bandits. Yeah. Just like, just get me the fuck away from anything that feels remotely like working with Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Gilliam at this time, because, you know, now when you think of Gilliam, you do think quite over the top as, as a director. You know, like you think about, for example, the grueling production for Man Who Killed Don Quixote. <laughs> Which one? Well, exactly. But I suspect that back then he was a lot more kind of- Chill and, and carefree. And probably just massively stoned. Do you reckon? Ah, oh, surely all of them were, weren't they? <laughs> the whole Python Brigade, come on. <laughs> that's that's not stuff that came up that they came up with sober. <laughs> Ma- yeah, maybe. Not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of early time travel films. Do you think that later films like, for example, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, do you think it's fair to say that they must have, have taken a little bit of this? I'm trying to think how many there, there could have been prior to this, really, that dealt with it in the same way, that the kind of skipping and jumping through time. You know, obviously we had films and stories like H.G. Wells' The Time Machine, but they kind of tend to deal with, like, a linear travel. Like, you go back, you're there, and then you go forward again. And I can't think of many other, apart from, say, this and Bill and Ted, where it is that kind of time hopping, which has now become quite common. You know, like, you look at the most recent episode of Rick and Morty, they play with that kind of thing a lot. Do you think that this might have kind of kicked that off? It's entirely possible. Like, particularly with modern stuff, if you did grow up with this film, then you're potentially now a filmmaker who's approaching, like, let's say, you, you could very well be a 40-year-old filmmaker who grew up with this film at this point. Yeah. So right now you could certainly see it being an influence. Um like not on and as you said it's kind of segmented like not on Terminator for instance. No, no, exactly. And that's what I mean. That's that deals with time travel but in a very different way. It is that more linear you go back, you go forward. That like it's just the one trip. Yeah, whereas this one and, and that's that's the kind of thing like the things like Terminator and whatever where you can kind of drill down into the okay the, you know, this is how it would work. These are the repercussions, yada, yada, yada. This film's not concerned with that. No, no, not with at the all. Kind, the, the middle ground maybe is a few years later on with Back to the Future where you do kind of drill down into the consequences, but you're not like so hung up on it that it's getting in the way of just having fun. Yeah. Longer film than I'm, than I'm expecting for, given target audience and tone of the film. Would you 
Can I ask, just checking off like Billy Bingo here? <laughs> yeah. Would you have preferred a 90-minute film? Absolutely. I, I was- Because sh- my memory of this film, as I say, I kind of lump it in with the Python films, which are that kind of shorter, more skit-like. And I'm not going to lie, when I went to put it on the other night, I was like, oh, geez, two hours. I don't know about this. And yeah, I, I did feel the runtime. And I do feel like there is plenty of fat that could be trimmed out of this film. Like what, watching it now as an adult, I think there's plenty of fat. Same. And it's not, for me, it's not even so much I'd get rid of this segment, I'd get rid of this segment. It's just, it's just tightening up yes. the sequences themselves for me. Like there's even just like, you know, just pinching 12 frames earlier before you make that cut. If you just do that like a bunch of times, mm. you just tighten up. And particularly with something that is meant to be fun and comedic, letting shots hang there and outstay their welcome even and this is kind of a this is something that thankfully is a trait of films from decades past i don't think screenwriters are doing it so much anymore and it's genuinely one of my pet peeves is just the irrelevant dialogue of characters asking each other things that we already know so for instance when they are it's fairly early on when they're in the the napoleon segment one of the band of thieves comes back and says, we've got 30 seconds left. This is, you know, to get into one of the, the time holes. Yeah. Another character says, oh, you found the time hole. He says, yes. We don't, like, those two lines serve no purpose. Of course he found the fucking hole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How, why else would he be here to tell you we've got 30 seconds left? Just cut to going into the time hole. Yeah. I agree 100%. I felt the same way. There aren't any full segments I would cut. I think in general the film structurally is good. I agree with you. For me it's the editing. I think that half of the segments could be much much tighter. It, it it's like you say it's 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 those small cutting out those those fatty lines that have zero relevance and you know especially in something that is kind of like this, if it's not making you laugh and it's not serving the story, they're your two th- reasons to cut it. It's fine for a line to not serve the story if it's making you laugh, but if it's just a fatty line like that, just lose it. It's not to say that you need to get rid of everything that that gets in the way of streamlining the story. Like, for instance, you could get rid of the the giant with the ogre's ship on his head. The story doesn't actually need that sequence, but I'm not saying get rid of that because that's fun it's cool it's interesting yeah it's different so by all means like keep that as we said the only two things gilliam had directed prior to this were holy grail and jabberwocky which are both completely different beasts they are more segmented and skit like and it's in some ways it's more like directing a variety show to an extent i mean holy grail is a little bit more kind of structurally there but it's still very segmented which I think it's easier for a director to look at that and cut them down because you're thinking of it in terms of, okay, this is this is a 10-minute segment. How do I make this tighter rather than looking at it as a whole? Whereas I think we're clearly seeing Gilliam still finding his his stride here, I think. I mean, you could argue that's that's still the case with Gilliam films. Like, there's not a single one of his films where I actually honestly love every second of the film. So part of it might just be like, all right, well, that's Gillian's thing and it doesn't always work for me. Yeah. Coincidentally, we also have a uh, Patreon request for Brazil from a completely separate patron who I don't think knew that we were um, having this requested. So I, I guess people are just really in the mood for some Gilliam lately. Yeah. People just loving a bit of not all men. <laughs> 
<laughs> Can I say that there's something um, just less than satisfying about God just turning up at the end and fixing everything rather than the characters we know having to overcome anything to do with themselves? <laughs> it just gets to this position of like, uh-oh, yeah, we're in real trouble here. How are they going to get out of it? Oh. God came and fixed it. <laughs> Classic God. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I'd love for that to happen more in my life. That'd be great. <laughs> I, don't, I don't find it particularly satisfying when in the arc of a character, though. <laughs> and that's where I think that this movie feels more like a bridge, because I don't think he's there yet with a fully structured story. Like, it's clearly getting more towards that fantasy sci-fi kind of realm. But it is still relying too much on jokes to be a real film in its own right, I feel. Because you're right, there's no development, there's no real structure to it that that makes sense in the story. Would little Billy have run off with a band of thieves time travelling if they burst into his bedroom? You bet your sweet bippy I would have. <laughs> All right. And so, if like the adventures are taken from it's what's on his walls, it's what he's interested in, it's really just his own dreams- come to life yeah so if you run off with with these bandits yeah what was eight-year-old billy rocking in terms of adventure content oh man i mean as you know i was big into sinbad so yeah we'd probably 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 out on a boat of some kind for for a little bit um definitely (laughs) i i i really loved fantasy like king arthur merlin robin hood that kind of stuff for sure my fifth grade teacher was really hot, so she might pop up in there somewhere. We don't need to see that particular scene. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the typical kind of- And that's that's where I think this movie does really play well, is these kind of fantasy locations. I think they're pretty universal. Like, you would have been the- Like, okay, there is some- Like, I did have one friend who was big into, for example, ancient Egypt and the mummies and stuff. But I think most kids, just that sense of adventure is, is pretty pretty universal. Like, wh- what about you? Well, if it has to be like in this film, if it's like literally taken directly off your bedroom walls, then I suppose it was like space stuff and international cricketers. So, <laughs> cricket on the moon. <laughs> Which would be fun because with the low gravity, you'd be sending that ball a very long way. Actually, that is one of the interesting things about this film is that it doesn't do any forward travel at all. Indeed. There's, I mean, there's that spaceship right at the end. Yeah. But even it's, yeah, it's not in, it's not in its own environment. It's just plonked into evil Legoland. Yeah. Apparently, the, uh, the headpiece that David Warner's wearing in, in that sequence and earlier sequences, um, there's a bit of Geiger, inf- I don't know if it was directly or just general kind of alien influence but that headpiece was very much meant to be a geiger kind of thing apparently interesting you know you've got ian holm in the film yes was napoleon <laughs> was napoleon an android with a maybe yes with a complex about his size <laughs> five foot nothing and conqueror of italy <laughs> the, yeah there's a lot it's funny for a movie that i didn't remember this very well at all but when I was watching it, there were a lot of quotes that came up. There was, oh, yeah, we used to say that as kids. Um, you know, like the the finale that don't touch that, it's evil. 
my my sister had this really yeah. <laughs> how many young boys were told that <laughs> one growing up my my sister as a kid had this really disgusting fluoro pink um plastic bunny rabbit which my parents called the pink bunker do you know like the, yeah it was funny watching and and remembering all these things that i'd forgotten how long do you reckon had it been since you'd watched time bandits easily 20 years i don't think i was over the age of 10 the last time i saw it so, yeah, a very, very long time. Do you reckon your kids will be shown this film? It's funny. I'm starting to reach that age because my eldest is nearly six now. And I'm at that point where I'm like, okay, what what kind of movies can we enjoy with her at this point? Like, she's still too young for things like Jurassic Park and whatnot. But I'm thinking about the movies that we watched as kids. Now, obviously, she's seen all of the Disney stuff. Yeah, it's funny trying to think about what movies I enjoyed as a kid that she would actually appreciate. And I don't think she would like this one. Because, like, when I was a kid, I was just like, yeah, sweet, a movie, I'm in. Yeah, well, I was exactly the same. I would watch particularly adventure and fantasy stuff. Like, you know that I have a pretty shoddy taste. (laughs) And a lot of that is due to just I would watch anything. Like, I think back to the 2000 Dungeons & Dragons movie. I watched that daily. Like, I loved that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have not I've not seen that film because it's meant to be I I mean yeah. I've actually I've got it on my watch list to rewatch because I've every now and then I get a hankering for like a big adventure. Like I don't know if you remember like the Merlin miniseries with Sam Neill, but I I rewatch that kind of once a year because I just I, I love an adventure and a fantasy. So yeah, as a kid this movie was right up my alley. I'm pretty convinced and I thought this watching it that if I had grown up with this film, I'd have been way into it. Okay. Here's the question, though, because we're not kids anymore and you didn't see this as a kid. So, I'm tr- I guess the question is, on what level did you appreciate it? How are you scoring the film? Five out of ten for me. Um, I didn't dislike it. I didn't really like it. It was just a movie I watched. <laughs> but I reckon that if I had – I mean, who knows? It, it might be one of those ones where you – you then watch it as an adult and you're like, oh, what the fuck was I thinking? Or just the the attachment to the film lives on and it would still be a really enjoyable watch for me. It was like, by no means was this a painful experience, but I would never watch it again just because I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to fucking watch Time Bandits. Yeah. See, look, I'm somewhere in, be- in between because obviously I did see this as a kid, but as we said, it's been you know a good 20 years at least. Watching this, I wasn't like, oh, what was I thinking? Because- I think you can see that pretty clearly. I, I I think this is a kid's movie at heart, really. As I said, it's about adventure and fun, and, and I can totally see why I dug this as a kid. But also watching it now, I can see more of its flaws, I think, particularly around, as I said, the length and the editing. I still had fun with it, but I'm I'm going with a six. I, I probably wouldn't rewatch this again in a huge rush. And because, like, even though it is in point, like, there's parts of the film which, like, yeah, are kind of dark. But then, like, if you rewatch Willow, there's parts of Willow that are fucked up for a kid. Yeah, actually, I need to rewatch Willow as well. That was another one that I loved as a kid and I don't think I've seen in 20 years. Willow still rocks. I bet it does. We Like, we watch it at our place, like, semi-regularly. Yeah. Great shit. Yeah, I need to, I need to get back on that because that was a great movie. And there's one crossover character between Willow and Time Bandits. Like the chief of the village in Willow is one of the the band of thieves in Time Bandits. Huh. There you go. 
And of course, you've got Kenny Baker. R2D2 himself is in Time Bandits. Yes, he is. Yeah. Cool. Um, what, and I don't even know why I'm asking this because I don't think we know. What are we getting to next week, buddy? I think it's going to be a surprise. I know that cinemas here are reopening next week, but I doubt they'll. I doubt there'll be any new movies showing in them. Really, I guess it's just going to be like Retro City, just tons of throwbacks at the cinemas, which is fun. But all right, okay, so we'll surprise you next week, I guess. In the meantime, we'll be back. We'll we'll we'll, we'll be kicking around with something. I mean, what are we now? Episode one hundred and I don't know forty or something. Never missed a week. Are you saying it's time we did? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the surprise. <laughs> in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show and make us watch something like we did this week, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing. And we'll catch you next week, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. Surprise. <laughs> I don't know. Cut that out. When, when I say cut that out, I was talking to you, Toph. I meant I wasn't telling the listeners to cut out that. Cut activity. it out. I, I meant I meant for you to edit all of this out. It's fine. Two things. One, I knew what you meant. <laughs> Two, I would definitely always cut that out. Yeah, good. <laughs>